In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about caregiving. What does the word caregiver invoke for you? Some immediately think of a doctor or a nurse. Others think of grown children caring for aging relatives. In 2018, I published a first-of-its-kind caregiver's issue of Wildfire. In it, writers explored what a caregiver is in the context of our breast cancer diagnosis, specifically those people who play a supporting role outside of the doctor's office. Our moms, husbands, sisters, wives, friends, daughters, and sons. For me, caregiver brings to mind some specific times in my life, both on the caregiving side and the care receiving side. I, of course, received lots of care from my family as I was going through breast cancer treatment at the age of 35, and I've been honored to serve as a caregiver for women giving birth in my role as a doula, work I did way back in the early 2000s. Then serving as a caregiver to my dad, who at age 61 was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Today, I'm part of the caregiving team caring for another family member who's facing life-changing health challenges. And in the short term, my daughter just had surgery five days ago to reconstruct a ruptured ankle ligament. So I've been fluffing pillows, managing medications, cooking comfort foods, and holding her hand as post-surgical depression washes over her in waves. By the way, no one really talks about post-surgical depression and post-anesthesia weakness, do they? In the Wildfire Caregivers issue, my goal was to honor those that take on the role of caregiver. For the first time, a wildfire issue was a mix of individuals. Some had been diagnosed with breast cancer and shared stories of their beloved caregivers. Others were the caregivers themselves, sharing their experiences from their side of the equation. My guest today tells the story of a caregiver who stepped in and took the role of mother to her, even though she was a friend. The story and conversation you're about to hear might inspire you to write about your family. So as you're listening, I want you to think about submitting to our upcoming family theme. The issue will touch on parenting, infertility, the mom-daughter relationship, genetic legacy, etc. The issue will come out in the spring of 2024, so you've got lots of time. Head to wildfirecommunity.org for more info on submissions and deadlines. All right, on to today's guest. My guest is Diana Vega. She is a nurse, a photographer, a floral designer, a writer, dancer, singer, songwriter, traveler, and ultimately an explorer of life's possibilities. Diana was diagnosed at 29 with a type of breast cancer called pleomorphic sarcoma. 
stage 2B. Welcome to the burn, Diana. Thank you, April. Thank you for that warm welcome. Of course. Did I get it right, the name of your breast cancer? Yes. Oh, good. So you're here to read a piece that you wrote called I Call Her Mother, and we published this some time ago in the 2018 issue called Caregivers, and this is also a story of yours that we published in our book, Igniting the Fire Within, that is out now. So after you read, we will chat. Those of you listening, of course, stay tuned to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, Diana, I'll let you take it away. I remember vividly that morning when I was sitting on the kitchen bar while my mother and father talked about their plans for the day. All of a sudden, I felt ill, a wave of gastric fluids swelling up my throat, out of my mouth, and before I could even blink, into my mother's cupped hands. Give me the towel, she gestured to my father. She cleaned me up. She cleaned up the bar table. She sat me down on the couch and gave me a blanket. I kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and mother would say, for what, baby? It's okay. I remember that time she made me pureed beef stew. My appetite was zero, and she wanted to make food that I could easily eat. I felt grateful, but at the same time, embarrassed, because I felt like such a burden because my mother had to go out of her way to make this food for me. It was a big pot. When I opened the lid, the strong smell wafted into the air and into my face, clenching my gut tight. I couldn't eat it. She made sure I was comfortable before bed and through the night. She and my sister slept in a room with me, pulling out a second bed from under mine to make sure that they could help me with anything in the middle of the night. That was our setup every night in my mother's house while I stayed there. Except she wasn't really my mother. I met Luciana at the gym two years before I had cancer. She's only 10 years older than me, We were just going to the same classes until we went to the same parties and hung out more often with our gym group. I would never in my life have imagined that we would be as close as we became because in my mind, I thought she's such a beautiful and funny and confident and forward woman whose clothes hugged her body so good, men young and old could not help but say something and look again. She has expensive taste. She is loud. I am quiet. I thought of myself as simple and agreeable, easy to forget. Not many stories to tell, unlike her 100,000 stories of her life in Brazil, her hilarious experiences as a non-English speaking US immigrant who now speaks three languages, Portuguese, Spanish, and English. And of course, these stories are told with her endearing accent, her hands and feet involved, frequently standing up and acting out each situation. Her presence draws attention, interest, laughter, sunshine. I just sit there laughing and admiring her. When I found out that I had cancer, I felt so alone. My family was in the Philippines. My sister was at college in Hawaii. My auntie lived 30 miles from me, but she's already burdened with her responsibility as a daughter to my ill grandmother. And I had filed for a divorce. Soon, I would have nowhere to live. I had no savings. I was deep in debt. I supported my family overseas. I felt like a speck and a boulder at the same time on the shoulders of the family that was counting on me. I turned to my friends. I was overwhelmed at the amount of people willing to offer a room in their house for me. Among them was Luciana, whom I chose. 
I was so embarrassed. It's the most humbling thing in the world to be a stranger in another person's home, to be welcomed in their sacred space. She had a husband, a son, and a daughter. I was an alien, an outsider. You are part of our family now, she said, and would say it repeatedly. So I started calling her mother. She cooked my food. She cleaned the house. She drove me to appointments. She visited me every time I went to the hospital. She gave me gifts. She paid my bills. She helped me plan how to pay off my debts. She gave me my medicines. She gave me wisdom, so much that I had to write some down. She shared with me her life, her dreams, her beliefs. She chastised me with my choice of lovers. She accepted me for who I am. She called me beautiful when I detested myself. She called me strong and hugged me when I was crying. She answered the phone and I let me cry whenever I called. She let me talk to her on the phone when I was high. She sat with me while I was high. She flushed my pick line every day, diligently. She said, good night, daughter, every night. She listened to me. She drank with me. She endured watching boring shows with me. She defended me when I had no voice. She woke up at 5 a.m. and stood on ragged rocks at the beach for me so I could practice photography. She did anything that would make me happy. Do you believe in lifetimes? Do you believe that before coming here, we were spirits in heaven in another world, that we chose our parents and our parents chose us to help in the growth of our souls and theirs, that we all agreed to cross paths because we will miss each other so much, that we will be guardians and protectors and nurturers towards each other when we meet again, that before this lifetime, we had different parents, but we loved them so much that we had to be connected again in this life in another way, as a friend, a neighbor, perhaps a passerby, or a taxi driver you get to open up to. Do you believe in recognition? Having never met someone before, but feeling like you've known them all your life and you just feel like you're home. She did not birth me, but in all aspects and definitions, she is my mother, my angel, my lighthouse, my son, in all the lifetimes I have and will ever live. What a beautiful story, Diana. Thank you so much for that. Thank you, April. Absolutely. So let's take a quick break here for a testimonial. When we come back, we will chat. Hi, friends. There is now a wildfire book in the world. It is a big, beautiful compilation of my favorite essays from Wildfire Magazine, spanning all the way back to our first ever issue in 2016 up to the summer of 2022. This book took years to create and is literally the resource I wish I had had when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. This book is called Igniting the Fire Within, and it's made up of 50 essays that really dig into the experience of having breast cancer in our 20s, 30s, and 40s. Every stage of breast cancer is represented from DCIS to stage four, from all sorts of walks of life from all around the world. Our writers go deep and get vulnerable to heal their own experiences and to let others like you know that you're not alone. You will find yourself within these pages. 
get Igniting the Fire Within, stories of healing, hope, and humor inside today's young breast cancer community on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle now. Curl up with it today. Hi, my name is Bonica Haro, and I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. I was diagnosed with invasive lobular carcinoma when I was 42 years old. Um, Wildfire Magazine has been a great tool in my wellness toolbox. Um, reading the magazine, participating in writing workshops, and having contributed some essays to past issues has really validated me and helped me process through um, a lot of the pain associated with my cancer diagnosis and made me feel less alone. I'm really grateful for Wildfire Magazine. Thank you so much, Monica. Thank you for everything you do for the burn. I appreciate you. All right. Back to you, Diana. Thank you again for your beautiful story. I so appreciate it. And it's such a a different kind of caregiving story. So I'm glad that we get to showcase it today. Yeah, I'm so glad I was able to share it with you. And and it's such an honor that you actually had it included in the book. Thank you so much. Yes. Well, my pleasure. So you wrote this over five years ago. So I want to start with an update. Do you... um, do you still have a relationship with your mother, your quote unquote mother? Um, where are things today with you and and her and also with your health? Um, my mother, still my mother. <laughs> <laughs> um, things have happened, like so many things have happened like between those eight years. I've always sought her advice. I'm always welcome in her home. And she's still, um, she's still my go-to person for like words of wisdom. And yeah, I love her so much. And I think I will never allow our relationship to dissipate into nothing because it's such a precious thing. And actually me talking about her here, I'll always talk about her. It's my um, my thank you to her. You know, it's my uh, being published in, th- in this book. Like that's her name right there. I, I hope that, like, and she's so proud of me too. Um, health wise, I am, I'm very healthy and thank God. And, um, I'm on remission for eight years now. Um, I still get checked. I still get scarce. I have like, I think muscle stuff happening on my, on my, um, mastectomy site, but it's nothing serious. So I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I'm curious, as you were talking about um, Luciana and, you know, how how publishing the story was your thank you to her, I'm also wondering if you've had the opportunity to serve as a caregiver for her, maybe not something as serious as cancer, but have you had the opportunity to kind of switch sides of the table and take care of her? Unfortunately, it hasn't happened yet, but fortunately also that she's staying healthy and active. Um, She's only 10 years older than me and she's still very much active. She does um, um, all of these like, um, it's not tough mutter. It's like the bigger, um, like the competitions between like you have to like go through all these relays and roadblocks and like, it's like a fitness challenge. And um, she does all of that all over the United States. She's crazy. Yeah, all these like fitness challenges that she goes through. Yeah, but I'm glad that that I I still have not needed to care for her. 
However, I am a nurse, so I care for other people every day during my working hours. And that is also my thank you to, mm-hmm. yeah. to the universe. Well, I've heard that nurses make the worst patients, probably the same with doctors because you're used to being the one giving the care. Did you have to overcome some things um, internally, emotionally in order to accept the, the love and the care that was given to you? Or do you feel like you were, you had no choice, you know, you were at a spot where you had to receive it? Um, in the beginning, I was very um, much against chemotherapy um, because I, I would lose my hair. Mm-hmm. And that is the side of vanity. And of course, mother told me, well, okay, baby, at least you will die with hair. At least you'll look beautiful in your casket. <laughs> Sometimes She's love. a tough love yeah, yeah. kind of person. And she does not give me any grace at all. Like, like when it comes to smart decisions, like, so I, I agreed with it. And, and being the patient in the hospital, oh my goodness, my sister and I, we were rolling down, I'm in the wheelchair and we were just like zooming by the hallways and escaping from my room, not telling any of the nurses that I'm going to the vending machine to get some Cheetos. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. So yeah. has that time in your life then influenced the the nurse that you are today? Do you turn a blind eye when when you have patients who need to need to be themselves, you know, despite whatever they're dealing with? Yeah, absolutely. You know, being a nurse even before I had cancer already set me up to what kind of patient I will be and also what kind of nurse I am now. I'll give you an example. I had a patient who had stage four breast cancer, who also had heart issues. And I'm a heart specialty nurse. And she was practicing veganism and she was um, very much into her oils and um, crystals and all of that stuff. And I really respect that. However, there was one mistake. Um, There was um, bacon added to her breakfast or Mm -hmm. something by mistake knowing that she requested to be vegan, to have a vegan um, meal delivered to her. She was so upset, so upset. And, and her vision was so focused on concentrating on her health, making sure that she's taking all these specific herbs and supplements and medicines. However, in the other room, I had a patient who had heart failure and He's so jolly, like Santa Claus. <laughs> but he's like in his 50s, still very young, but his heart is failing. He's very swollen, but he's so happy and nonchalant and just like, oh yeah, sure. We'll get in and out when when you when you turn your back. Me and my my son here are gonna like run real quick to in and out. And I would joke back, like, make sure you bring a milkshake back for me. And He's so happy. He's so, he, he has family so happy around him. He saved bananas from every meal so he could give it to his wife when she comes to visit. It, the difference in these two patients, very unhealthy. This one is very focused on being healthy. And the quality of life is the difference. Here, it, she's very 
just just very stiff mm-hmm. and the other is very soft mm-hmm. and huggable and um, that made me question what kind of life do i want to live do i want to live a long life or do i want to live a rich life mm-hmm. short rich and full of quality that's what i want to mm-hmm. what i want to do so that's what i learned from my job every day Yeah. Well, I really love this story because I have a perception and obviously I'm not a doctor or a nurse, but I have a perception that the medical establishment is very focused on quantity of life. And so it's so refreshing to hear you talk about quality and, you know, that softness that, that can be a real indicator of a life well lived, a joyful life. I I just really love that story. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I want to ask you about um, this idea of chosen family and unconditional love within a chosen family versus, you know, the family that you said was far away in the Philippines. Was that something that that you were already familiar with, like needing to draw family to you, adopting caregivers? Or was this, again, kind of a new lesson you learned in a moment of need? Well, April number one. <laughs> this is my this is my experience. Okay, um, I'm an Asian. I come from an Asian family, and Asians are known to be very cold, like the parents to be very cold. And so, I am coming from that typical Asian family where I was raised with expectations. I'm the oldest daughter, and I just need to do what I am told to do. And I need to come home with gold medals all the time. And if I don't bring home a gold medal, I might as well not say anything because I will be punished. So my my parents are here now in the United States. But uh, when when Luciana took care of me and adopted me as her daughter, I felt a weird, very, very weird feeling of motherly love coming from her. I never experienced it from my mother, Mm -hmm. from my biological mom. And that was so strange to me. I had to learn to accept it because I felt that I kept pushing it away. I kept like leaving the house and not not wanting to be there for a long time because I, I already felt so embarrassed that I was intruding but she really worked so hard to make me feel like I belong there. And I do, I feel, I feel like, like that now. Mm-hmm. All the things that she shared with me about her life, like my mom never shared her young life with me. She didn't share her heartbreaks with me, her beliefs. Like it's so hard to talk to her. My, my mom was just so quiet, like so reserved and like, I just need to give her money, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of heartbreaking, but I feel like it's a culture thing. It's um, it's also her growing up, I guess, like her personality. You know, there are so many things that get in the mix of this. But yeah, that was so new to me. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you found Luciana, and that you yeah. were able to experience a mother figure, because I think we each need that and deserve that. And 
I I had a different upbringing from you, but I also had a mom who I didn't feel very um, close to. It wasn't safe to be close to her. And so I'm I'm a different kind of mother now to my own daughter, which is very uh, fulfilling for me. But one of the things that I'm teaching her is to gather other women to her, other mother figures to her, because each one of them gives her something that I can't, you know, I can't be everything for her at every, um, step of the way. I would love to, to do that. But I see now in these women that she gathers around her that each one gives her something different. And I'm also gathering other people to me, other teachers. And I love that you have done the same and figured that out for yourself that you needed to do that. Yeah. That's great for your daughter that you encourage her to do that. Thank you. Yeah, I think of it as her council of mothers. And it kind of started in my um after in after my diagnosis because you know I didn't know how how it was all going to work out for me and if I would survive or not and I knew that she would need other other moms, but then it turned out I'm 11 years out from my diagnosis now. And again, we don't know how it's all going to turn out, but in the 11 years that I've still been here, she has benefited so much from me being willing to, to let her have these other women. And it sounds so weird to say let, but I know sometimes moms can be very, um, protective of that role and very jealous of that role too. So, yeah. Yeah. She's so lucky to have you for sure. Thank you. And to have all these councils of council of women. You know what they say? It takes a village. Exactly. To right. We really do need a village to raise a child. Yes. And to raise ourselves. You know, we're all these um changing landscapes all the time. So yeah. Um, I wanna I wanna ask you one more question in the time we have left. Um, so you have contributed a few times to Wildfire and you have been a cover model twice, which I don't know if you realize this, but you're the only person who has that uh distinction, that honor. So Thank you for that. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, you were on our self-love cover as well as our money issue. And um, I just want to ask you about this um, decision to be a vis- visual advocate, I guess. You know, be very visible, not just in your storytelling, but literally in your photography and being in front of the lens. Was that something that when you were diagnosed and going into it that you kind of knew was your way of processing or has this evolved for you that you have become kind of a, a poster kid for, for breast cancer? And I mean that in the most uh, loving way possible. Well, I, I um, was a very shy person before cancer. And then I... When I had my mastectomy, I just and, and I realized my my mortality. I just made the decision that, oh my gosh, I'm just gonna be me. And um, I tried to discover who that was. And so, um, yeah, I just decided that I will be out there. And I didn't really like myself so much then. Like I felt like such a mediocre looking person. And then when I had one of my breasts removed, I just thought like, wow, 
who is she? Wow, this is such a beautiful body that I get to live this for this life and I should be proud of it. And so my decision to be out there and be photographed is to encourage other people that they can love the bodies that they're in and they should not be scared and they should stand up to whatever decision that they make. And if, whether they, may, they change that decision over time, yes, do what makes you happy. This is what makes me happy at this moment, being, having a uniboo, as I call it. <laughs> but um, I'm, I am very proud. I love that. And yes, as a fellow uni, I, I really appreciate your visibility. It truly, truly makes the world a safer place for others. So really, really appreciate you doing, um, you just being visible in that way. And I, um, so we heard your dog in the background just then. So I just want to acknowledge him. What kind of dog do you have? Right. Um, she, she, her name is Nova. She is, um, part, a bull terrier. I think she's part pit too. Yeah. <laughs> I love that she's back there. I also have a dog in the background of every single thing that happens at wildfire too. So I always like <laughs> yeah. to say hello to them. Well, Diana, thank you so much. I'm just so happy that you are here and that you shared your story. I just have one last question for you before we close. And I just wonder, you know, you're, um, you're in the realm of long-term survivor now. And so I like to ask people who've crested that the five years, what is your biggest challenge in survivorship these days? I would say it's guilt. Mm. And, um, yeah, um, for a long time I've been, um, uh, not suffering, but like dealing with survivor's guilt because of the work that I also do. I'm a nurse and I see young people pass away and they have young kids and, you know, at work we have this paid time off or like sick calls that we can donate to our co-workers when they get sick and I feel like I can donate my life I can donate my years like mm-hmm. if I can give five years or ten years to this woman so she can have so she can see her daughter go into teenage years mm-hmm. that would be great like I, I really would do that if that was available yeah because I'm single I have nobody depending on me and I feel very healthy and therefore I feel guilty. But what I do with that guilt is I volunteer. I, whenever I work, I pour my heart to my work, to my patients. I get to know them. I feel as if every person that I meet is a version of me living in a different life. So that's just my outlook on life. Yeah. Well, I love your outlook. And I also really appreciate you mentioning survivor's guilt because I know so many of us face that and we need to talk about it more and the reality of it. So I really appreciate you bringing it up. And I am, I'm sorry that you're carrying that, that heaviness, but I get it. So thank you. Thank you. 
Well, we have reached the end of our time. So my guest today has been Diana Vega. Her piece was called I Call Her Mother. And this is in the 2018 issue of Wildfire called The Caregivers. You can also find Diana in, like I said, our money issue and in our self-care issue, as well as on the cover of both those issues. Diana, if people want to find you and follow you online, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram. My handle is Dystopia Diana. Perfect. We will be sure to link to you. Thank you again for being here with me. Thank you, April. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. So I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn is a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young people like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's chat. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our 43 and counting issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There's no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. All right, here is your writing prompt. You're going to set your timer for eight to 10 minutes, write without stopping or editing. It's a two-parter. The first part is her story is slash was. Her story is slash was. So this could be a list prompt or prose. You could say her story was complicated. Her story was cut short. Her story is overshadowing mine or her story is a legacy I carry. Whatever it means to you, her story is or was. And then the second part of this prompt is her story is not my story. My story is. So her story is not my story. My story is. Again, it could be a list prompt or a prose. Your story is mine. Your story is intertwined with hers, whatever it is. So eight minutes, eight to 10 minutes for each, write without stopping, see what needs to come out and where it will take you. And if you want more writing prompts, head to wildfirecommunity.org free to get more that I've put together for you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.